Welcome to The Moon Underwater, a podcast featuring me, Phoebe Fuller, a Gen Z student, and Professor Kelly Daniels, a Gen Xer, discussing their favorite short stories, poems, essays, and whatever else comes up. Pull up a stool and join us at the bar. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Kelly Daniels. I'm Phoebe Fuller. How are you doing, Phoebe? I'm I'm doing okay. Still a little sick, but you know we're pushing through. How are you? I'm well, not sick. A little tired because, uh, as you know, I was uh, out late grading papers. Wink, mm. wink, nudge, mm-hmm, nudge. Mm-hmm. Last night, yeah, um, are doing some other sort of professor work um, on a Sunday because that's that's what we do. We just Is work. Is that so? Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, so otherwise, I'm. Um, Excited to talk about a little James Joyce today. Yeah, talking about... Okay, do you say Eveline or Eveline? Okay, I asked an expert. Okay. Uh, Dr. Joe McDowell, who is uh, an expert in all things Ireland, but uh, particularly Joyce. Mm-hmm. And he said it, it's pronounced Eveline, that the V is silent. Oh, Interesting. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was hoping so. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can, if I can put he up He said with that. that it was called Eveline, Eveline, Evelyn. Um, different people have pronounced it differently, and there is, there's no one authoritative, uh, I guess, source of okay. how to do it. So, whatever we want. Eveline sounds good to me, because yeah. it has evil in it. Oh, okay. Not that she's evil. But um, do we have any business besides uh, the story today? Or are we just going to jump right into it? I or? don't think so. I think the only unfinished business we have right now is finding out if the library, their opinion on nudists. But yeah, I, you know, we don't want to jump no right into that. No updates on that, though. Yeah, we, wanna, we don't, also don't want to just rush it. Yeah. You know, we got to kind of drag this whole library saga out as much as we can, mm-hmm. you know. We have to keep it going until yeah. this podcast just dies, I guess. Well, or we'll have to come up with a new thing. But um, I am wearing uh, thin layers once again in defiance of library protocol. I will say yesterday I was wearing thin layers in the library and I was pretty cold. Nice. So that Not that that's something I want to admit because that would make them right. You know what I think it might be is that s- the hotter it gets outside, the cooler the the library is because oh absolutely you know, I have a sunburn on my back from the shirt that I was wearing because it was so hot yesterday but inside I was cold so. you had a sunburn through your shirt I it was like a like a open back kind of thing. oh I see yeah not through the material just no. the open back well, like you have a I don't know how to explain it <laughs> no I get you farmer tan yeah but a variation <laughs> of farmer tan but you know yes. fashionable lady. Gen Z. Yeah. I was just listening to our, our intro, um, and we hear it every time, but mm-hmm. I, mostly it just passes over my head, and I realize we're not really leaning into the generational thing very much. So maybe you could you could represent Gen Z's take on uh, Eveline, uh, and uh, I'll have a really distinctly Gen X reading of the story. Okay. Um, I like this idea. <laughs> All right, so let's hear it. What uh, you you uh, suggested it? I did. We yeah. are speaking of generations. I, actually, I don't know if that's a real transition or connection. <laughs> but 
we really have been heavy on the dead white male author. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I would never, like in assigning stories for for a class, I would never have like this many uh, just white guys in a row. Um, but since, uh, since you, a, a legitimate Gen Zer, um, has, have been, uh, suggesting a lot of them, 50% of them, yeah. I feel like I'm shielded from, well, uh, you, you know, know my I sins. can, I can only know what your generation tells me exists. So, because, so it's the professors that you've been taking <laughs> and you're taking like white male professors. I've noticed a yeah. lot of it's me, McDowell and Crow, right? I haven't taken McDowell. Oh, you haven't. Mm-mm. Okay. Trying to think you of have other to ones, just though. to kind of, cr- you know, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Complete the, uh, the <laughs> Dr. Ellis, if you know him. Yeah, yep. I do. I have him this semester. Yeah. Yeah. He's not just a, he's a Republican as well as a Is white he male. actually? I think so. He's a Christian kind of Republican. Type. I, I think it's sane one. I don't, I don't know. I haven't spoken politics with him in a long time. I just know that. You know how academia is. It's more often on the left side than the right. And so when you do know a a conservative, you know, you notice it. Yeah. I guess I kind of, I don't know. Is it wrong? I don't like, like, I'm not a history person, but he's very passionate about history. So like, that's where we differ. Oh, yeah. But he's a history professor. Yeah. He's supposed to not be passionate about it. No, I think it's great that he's passionate about it. I just think that oh, you just maybe aren't. those personality types don't get along. Someone who's very passionate about history and someone who's very not passionate about history. Okay, I got you. This is very off topic. Oh, no, <laughs> it's, this is the intro. We're trying to, you know, we're, we're warming up into uh, the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. And our story is only four pages long. So I feel like, you know, you don't want to be done in like 10 minutes. Oh, uh, there's. Maybe, I feel like there's a lot to unpack in it, though. Like, okay. Let's do it. Wait, I wanted to say something else about Dr. Ellis. Mm-hmm. Oh, he gave a presentation years ago where using a, like a role-playing game mm-hmm. in class. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. But Oh, yeah. With I know. I Does did he it. do that? Yep. Is it cool? Do you want to know what character I was? Yes. Joseph Stotlin. Nice. Did you crush your enemies? Um, I did arrest two people for being spies and was wrong about both of them. So. Oh, did you torture them or have them tortured? I don't know. I just, I just. Oh, you just arrested. Yeah, oh, I just you arrested. You don't know what your Secret Service does. I hate no. to break it to you, but they weren't nice to those people. That uh, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I'm not. I'm not saying that I agree with communism. Maybe mm. you are. You're a commie now. You're, <laughs> Next now I topic. Find out, <laughs> now I find out. Oh my gosh. Um, I hope nobody's listening. Um, oh well, I don't know. Let's get into, uh, no, that sounds fun. I want to do some role-playing games in my class. I just don't know how to do it in creative writing or, and I don't, haven't been teaching literature lately, but maybe FYI 101, maybe there's a way I could figure out how to do it in that. But yeah, I think that's more probable than creative writing. Yeah. You could pretend to be like a famous writer. And then write like in their style. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, teach plagiarism at a at an early stage not and, plagiarism uh, oh i know it's yeah it's no it's true it's you learn how to how to write by mimicking um some great writers and then if you only copy one writer then you're unoriginal mm-hmm. but if you're influenced by like 15 different writers then that's your style because it all blends we, we kind of talked about this but with like digital art 
in um, my FYI 102, we were talking about like the ethics of like AI generated art and how like it's technically tracing, but then sometimes tracing is okay if you're like learning how to draw because you're like learning like the motions and the muscle movements of like certain things. I don't know. I'm not like a digital artist, so oh, yeah, I don't. Sure. I mean, if you're just learning, but if you're making money off the thing that you right. traced is. Or taking full credit for it, you know. Yeah. So, can we transition into Eveline? Yeah. Let's um, see. It's from the short story collection, Dubliners. I love this entire collection. I haven't read all of them, but the ones that I have read, I really love I them. see you there with an actual paper book. Yeah. That's not very Gen Z of you. You should be, shouldn't you be reading it on your phone? Or am I wrong about that um, vicious stereotype? Okay, so... Gen Z was very good for a very long time at getting um, maybe not legal PDFs and different like books and textbooks online, and then the government cracked down. So we're kind of having to almost find like a Stalin-esque a, kind of a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're almost, we're having to find different ways. So, um, so you're actually resorting to paper books, huh? No, that is that my preference. Is but. sad. To, to represent the generation, I hate paper books. I wouldn't use them unless I absolutely have to, and this is a dire circumstance. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of uh, students your age say they actually do prefer Absolutely. Um, either that or they're just sucking up to the teacher because you know this oldies like me uh, are going to get grouchy and talk <laughs> about, oh, you and your PDFs See, and your I, Kindles. But I think there's like a valid point about... Um, I think this is David Crow who said it, or maybe it was Katie Hansen, his his uh, wife. But there is like value to having paper in front of you because then you have like the directional like. Uh, maybe this is just me, but I feel like I can picture it in my head and like where like phrases are, or like certain like points are better yeah. than like a PDF where I'm staring in the same direction and the pages are moving instead of the opposite. Yeah. Well, no, they've been done studies. And uh, retention and mm -hmm. depth of learning. And also they've done brain scans while people are reading paper books versus screens. Yeah. And there's big difference. Yeah. So, it's so this is actually hard science at this point. Good. That, that the paper. Um, that, that makes me feel good. That makes me feel validated. I like yeah. That. And also it's just good information. If you want to retain the thing you're reading, then get paper. Mm -hmm. if, and writing in the margins, you have all your notes right there. Perfect. Oh, I love it. I'm a margin writer, and I had a. I, I've used to have a Kindle. I left it on an airplane once and never got oh, got it back. Oh, that's unfortunate. And I did like reading on it, and I even was using the note or the the footnote function, whatever that is. So I filled it full of notes because I was going to write a piece on Mark Twain of all people, and I read oh. his biography. But then I never went back and looked at the notes because I would have had to have opened up the Kindle file and looked at, you know, it just, yeah. I just didn't do it. And then, I, and then I, like I said, I left it on the plane. Yeah. And then like, I feel like taking notes, like I have my notes in Google doc right now, which like this is, well, I had them in the, the margins, but I feel like it's easier because I don't really need to like refer back. I have a pretty good understanding of the story, so I don't need to refer back to like page numbers. But if I was taking notes for like an essay or something, like I would want it in the book so that I don't have to search through the page. Yeah. I like that. And, or you could just have a separate notebook and you say the page number or you write the page number down and then yeah. put your note. If you have to write a paper about the, the piece, yeah, that's useful. 
Anyways, so, anyway, <laughs> we're, we're we're not avoiding the story by any means. But I just I here's my controversial thing to say. Okay. I feel like James Joyce peaked in Dubliners, and I think a lot of Joyce fans would really be angry or just dismiss my my position on that. But I just think after Dubliners, he got very show-offy and he got really involved in the idea of modernism. And his writing became more and more experimental and less and less meaningful or fun to read or I would even say honest. Mm -hmm. Um, It just was a series of flourishes. And now, I haven't read everything he's written, but I have tried. um, And I know it culminates with Finnegan's Wake, which is just universally understood to be unreadable (laughs) um so anyway but i love dubliners i think it it also is the most influential of his works because short story writers still really essentially copy the way he he writes stories and these he's so like consistent throughout like it's just satisfying totally and this one's a a fantastic story i didn't remember it until you know just read it i you're welcome it is fantastic yeah thank you and uh Again, very short and <coughs> incredibly frustrating, but in a good way. Like it just, at least that was my read, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I had trouble with the synopsis because I wanted to go so in depth with it, but I I cut it down to two sentences. So um, it's a story of a young girl who comes from an unpleasant home. When given one chance to leave, she begins to go along but ultimately changes her mind due to the fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. which is very vague, but that is yeah, that's kind of the, the whole of it. Yeah, that's the summary of the plot, I suppose. Yeah. Um, young girl, I guess I would, young girl, I think like five or six. Really? If somebody says this is a young girl, I think first a girl means under 18. That's true, yeah. And then young, young so... If from 1 to 18, I would think it'd be not 18. Yeah. Well, she's around my age. She's she's 19 or older. Yeah. Says that somewhere in there. She's, so, uh, yeah, she's of age to marry, I suppose, because yeah. she's going to she's gonna run off with a guy. It's yes. an elopement story where, and you said unpleasant household. It seems maybe abusive even, or just, maybe we yeah, use that word too much. I had the word, I did have the word in my notes as abusive first, but then I was like, I don't know that I can like fully support that with the evidence given in the book. I think that's kind of up for interpretation, but. Yeah, yeah. And and also just definition. What does yeah. it mean? And, but emotionally abusive, it's just her, her father is a drunk. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clearly he takes all her wages and then uses them to drink. And then, so he's that Irish stereotype really. (laughs) Um, But I I do believe that like many stereotypes has, has a truth to it or came from, from reality. Yeah. So he is the drunken Irishman and her mother has died like years ago and she's unhappy and working in a shop, and she doesn't like the people she works with, nope. I don't think. I don't think so either. And then uh, tell us about the dashing young man who is going to rescue her from all this. She, the way that she describes him is very, well, there's a, a stark contrast between the way that she describes 
like this the world around her and then the way that she describes this man because the world around her like this is what's difficult she's like in some parts she makes it seem like really really horrible and then sometimes she seems indifferent to it and then the way that she describes frank she i wish oh god um she is very i don't know does she like give him too much credit do you think um i don't know I just know that I just, I deal with the facts here. Yeah. She says that he's, he's very kind and manly and yeah. open hearted, which like, you know, That's those are, those are Frank objectively was good very things. kind, manly, open hearted. She was to go away with him by the night boat to be his wife and to live with him in Buenos Aires, where he had a home waiting for her. Um, he took her to see the Bohemian girl which I guess is a play or a musical or something. And so he takes her out. He's nice to her. Um, does she give him too much credit? Maybe. I don't get the idea that she has been dating him particularly long or knows him particularly yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I do have footnotes. The Bohemian Girl is a light opera by the Irish composer Michael Balf. Its heroine is an aristocrat kidnapped by gypsies. And then it says, see also note 84. And I'm interested. So I'm going to go to note 84. Oh, you're on almost like a choose your adventure. I know. Kind of I'm like, like footnote to footnote. Okay. This one I feel like has, I dreamt what, no, I dreamt that I dwelt the famous aria from Balf's Bohemian Girl. Maria forgets to sing the second stanza, repeating the first instead. Oh, is that in the dead? Maybe. Let me go to let me go to the page. Ooh, this really is like a choose your own adventure book. Yeah. I like where this is taking me. This is in Clay. Oh, Clay. Yeah, yeah. I remember that one. I, I haven't read it. I read it in an undergraduate class. Oh. So there you go. Do you in still remember it pretty well? Not really. I mean I kinda do. I just remember that the the main character is another one of these self-deluded kind of pitiful people that okay. by the end we realize that, you know, that she is not who she thinks she is. Yeah. Or maybe she realizes that it's all these stories are supposed to end on an epiphany. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So, what, uh, so she has the sailor boyfriend mm-hmm. and then her father forbids him her from seeing Frank so it's a Romeo and Juliet kind of a thing yeah but because they still meet up just yeah in secret and she's gonna run off to uh you know a boat go across the ocean to the new world and be happy I guess right Mm -hmm. supposedly um (laughs) and then what happens um so she gets there they're on the the dock um and from my understanding, he is going onto the boat right as it's about to set sail. And yeah. he's telling her, like, come on, let's go. Why aren't you doing anything, basically? And she just kind of stands there and, and watches as it floats away. But he, he's sitting there. He's on the boat calling her name, like, come on, let's go. What are you doing? That kind of... Yeah. And she she, like, grabs the 
the rail and won't let go of it. Mm -hmm. And she essentially freezes. Yes. Uh, Paralysis. What? Tell tell me about paralysis. So, yeah, the thing with, like, Joyce is that he had those two, like, they're not terms that he coined, but they're, like, very prominent within his writing. It's epiphany and paralysis. Um, And I, uh, the epiphany in the story, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I have some opinions on that, but the, the paralysis is very literal. Like she quite literally does not and will not move to start this new life with this man. I was going to say mystery man. She kind of knows him. She kind of doesn't though. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking for the, yeah, it's the first page of the first story called the sisters Mm. dr mcdowell kind of primed me on this the other day okay and he said there's actually three words uh so apparently dr crow said there's two words um so we got to get those two have a a grudge match and see if it's two words or three we watched a a documentary on joyce that said there was two oh that's pretty good evidence okay but here are the three that uh that mcdowell Okay. told me it's paralysis mm-hmm. and that's in the first paragraph and simony simony is yes. essentially um corruption mm-hmm. it's paying money for blessings or something or it's um and then paralysis simony and what was the third one that you is said it, i said epiphany epiphany yeah see but the third one in this um paragraph is nomen oh Nomen? I believe that's how that's pronounced. Oh, okay. I don't... Um, what does nomen mean? I don't know. Let me... It says, geometrical form created when a parallelogram is removed from the corner of a larger parallelogram. Well, that that clears it all up. Well, according to Wikipedia, it's the part of a sundial that casts a shadow. Oh. But the term is used for a variety of purposes in mathematics and other fields. Um, yeah, let's skip that word. Moving on. <laughs> epiphany. That's what it is. Yeah. The third word is epiphany. It could just be a yeah word that means epiphany. Um, that could be, yeah. So do you think... <coughs> um, so McDowell made the case that all three of those do come into effect. So paralysis for sure. Mm-hmm. She holds on to, on to the... Uh, she just won't go. She can't yeah. go. She is like frozen. Simony, I forget exactly how he made it. It was a kind of emotional corruption that mm-hmm. she was essentially, oh yeah, she felt it was her duty to stay back and take care of her father Yeah, and keep the family together. That was her mother's final wish. Mm-hmm. And she had promised it to yes. her. Yes. So yeah. she had promised it and that is a kind of corrupt idea of essentially holding the daughter hostage by the corrupt parent. It's almost like a, you know, the kind of hold that a priest would have over a parishioner. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, but the big question would be epiphany. Does she experience an epiphany? And how would you just, how would you define epiphany? See, Epiphany for me is a sudden grasp of reality and like a a sudden realization of what is actually happening or depending on your situation, maybe it's um, what's happening around you. If you're like 
so blinded by whatever's in front of you. Um, So I don't, I think. Does she realize it or is it just that she realizes she's not going to go? Yeah, that's her like. I think she does. She realizes her epiphany is I'm never going to leave this place. Yeah, but I feel like epiphany is like, uh, maybe I'm wrong about this probably, but I feel like epiphanies tend to be positive. I don't think so. No? Not in Dubliners. Like every single story ends on a bummer pretty much. That's true, yeah. (laughs) Um, Like Araby, he looks up into the darkness and he saw himself as something like a, a, you know, some terrible creature driven and derided by vanity. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, he's like, I'm a, I'm an idiot. And he's just a little kid too. This is off topic, but I hate the way people talk about that story. Why? Because everyone's like, oh, it's a story about your first love and the heartbreak. And I'm like, it's literally not love. It's infatuation, but whatever. Yeah, it's good. a little kid who has a crush I on I know, him, but everyone says it's love. Girl. And I'm like, no, it's not. Anyways. That's yeah, a- it's just an embarrassing. Well, it can be kind of cute when a little kid it has a crush cute. on a, like a teenage. It's just not love. No, no. It's something else. Or, I don't know. It's been fun. It, it may be if love is... is uh, um, subjective is if it's personal then the way that kid felt was just as valid as an adult feels when they yeah but you could also say that love has to be reciprocated and realistic well that's why people say love is because they bring up the the idea of unrequited love yeah but i don't i mean it's definitely unrequited but i just don't think it's love do you think our listeners are just following uh this jump from story to no, story i think they're quite confused <laughs> they, what they're hearing are two just masters who have who who know this book so well oh yeah that, we're too uh, good dad true. if you're listening if you have any questions tr- just come ask me we're trying to um <laughs> by the way we do have a web a not a website a email address yeah the yeah, moon, yeah, yeah plug it moon underwater podcast dot at gmail.com yep. I should probably double check that, um, but maybe next episode I'll have it written down just so we get it exactly. <laughs> but I think that's it. Moon Underwater Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear them. Oh, yeah. And right now you can get in early on the podcast before it's like wildly yeah, yeah, popular. Yeah. And you can like you'll say a- that you knew us before we were famous. Yeah, we'll actually answer your emails and mm-hmm. stuff at this point, whereas a year from now we're, we're going to be way too busy to be bothered yeah. and we'll have an intern looking at the email pretending to be us and mm-hmm. it won't be very satisfying. So here for the, the people listening who are going to know us before we're um, famous, here's a little thing you can do. You can take the sound bite of us replying to your email and you can compress that into like the sound waves and then like frame it. Like print a picture of it and frame it or like make a sculpture or something really cool. And then like a year also, from now. Also, what, what a great gift, you know. <laughs> to who? It, yeah, your mom, your dad, your uh, your little brother. Okay, sure. Um, I don't know if I follow, but yeah. It's just a thing. It's a thing that has value. It's a little oh, bit like an NFT. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, okay. I follow now. Okay. So does she have an epiphany? I guess we... We both have her. Technically, yes, but maybe I just don't like it, and that's why but I'm the not epiphany, saying she well, does. Well, it just, it happens to her. She doesn't get to decide. <laughs> yeah. But she, she does seem pretty delusional throughout, and she still seems delusional at the end. Yes, very much so. 
but I do like okay I had I had talked about this um because the way that like this debate is so interesting just because of the language used within like the story itself because when she's talking about her home she talks about how there's like bright brick houses with shiny roofs and then at the end that switches to when they're on the boat and she says that there's like soldiers with brown bags and there's you can see a big black boat and it's like this like bright shiny description to this like sad like wait the boat was negative was sort of ugly the yeah the way that it's described but maybe that's like what causes the epiphany and she's like damn this isn't like as luxurious as i had imagined maybe it's all she's looking she's looking forward to this escape with Mm -hmm. uh romeo right yeah it's very exciting she hates everything about her life and with some good reason and then all of a sudden she just doesn't go would you say there is some foreshadowing or some kind of... Do we get hints that maybe she isn't going to go even before that last second? I guess just as a writer, I would say you don't want to just completely surprise the reader to the point where it doesn't seem plausible right. or believable. Um, and the way that you do that is you plant little bits of doubt that the reader doesn't really notice at first, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And then it it just feels right when she finally doesn't go. Yeah. I mean, having read this piece so many times, I feel like the existence of it, especially like knowing James Joyce and the way that he writes, like if it were a happy ending, this story wouldn't exist. (laughs) Like if she if she left and she got on the boat and she had this perfect, wonderful life, this story wouldn't exist. Well, that's not a story because there's not really a conflict. It's like I want to go and I go. Mm -hmm. End of story. Um, it's, I want to go, but I don't go because something has stopped me from going. And that thing is myself. Mm -hmm. Well, but we find out so late too, that like her mother, like she promised her late mother that she would like take care of the father and, and keep the house. So it's like at the beginning, you're kind of like, as soon as we learn that, that it like all makes sense. But also she starts, the closer she gets to the dock to leaving the more she starts revising history and making her life feel better than it actually was. Yeah. At one point, she's like, oh, her dad, she was nice sometimes. <laughs> and she talked about some time when she was like a little kid, like he said something nice. Mm-hmm. Like little kid, like yeah. four or five years old. Like she's thinking all the way back to then. And you realize, oh, she's looking for excuses mm-hmm. to not go. And but it's like, why? Because like, not only does this new life seem like pretty great, but like the way that she describes Frank, I mean. I think a lot of people are like that. Some people stay and some people go. Uh, there's yeah. a novel by Elena Ferrante, the great Italian novelist currently living and writing. Um, one of her, she has this thing called the Neapolitan novels. There's four novels that start with one called My Brilliant Friend. Mm-hmm. That's just a plug for the book. It's so good. <laughs> Um, but I think the second in the four-part series is called Those Who Leave and Those Who Stay. And it's about, you know, these two friends who go to high school together, and they're both really good students. And one of them leaves to go to, like, a special high school, prep school kind of thing. And the other one sticks around to marry the guy down the street. And one of them, and they live the rest of their lives, and one is the one that stayed in this hometown, 
and the other is the one that moves on and lives in all these different places and mm-hmm. but yet comes back periodically um, I just think that's just uh, some people stay and some people go yeah. and um, Eveline is is one that stays and it's uh, to me pretty heartbreaking that she can't leave yeah I would agree because uh, we're not given too much information on like what this new life would be for her, just that it wouldn't be her old life, which seems pretty bad. But I feel like if you have basic human decency, even if you're reading a book, like you want your main character to thrive or even just survive because she doesn't seem like she's very... She doesn't. There's nothing unlikable about her and she mm-hmm. seems like a victim, if anything. And yeah. so you want her to be happy. And she puts up with this dad, this drunken dad who takes her money. And, um, and so when she doesn't go, it's, it's really frustrating. But you also can't help people who don't want to be helped, you know? Yeah. But here's the screwed up part about this story that, uh, this is again, uh, Dr. McDowell <laughs> said that in the context, the historical context of, uh, this time and place is that Buenos Aires was a would have been to some people a well-known place where young, basically young women are sex trafficked. I had a feeling that's where that and was that going. And that Frank was in most likely just romancing her and was going to take her back and then basically sell her to a brothel. And that was just something he did as he traveled around the world as kind of an extra See, money this, making this thing. This makes this more interesting. So even though it's sad that she didn't want to go, it may have been that her instinct was smarter than she was in a way and that it wasn't just so much the paralysis of you know, being stuck with an abusive father, but part of her understood that this wasn't, this was too good to be true. That's and the epiphany. Yeah. Oh, man. But she didn't ever have the epiphany that she knew that he was, that Frank was going to, you know, sell her. Right. Just that this new but, life. Was... But she wasn't going to go and yeah. do it. And so maybe in that way, it is almost a happy ending. Although it isn't. It's like. I don't think it's a happy ending. You could leave and have a really miserable time being a sex slave, essentially. Or you can stay and be a slave to your dad, who's this drunken brute and mm-hmm. takes all your money. And um, so, not very good options for. No. I did. I wrote that too. I was like, it seems like there's some third option that she would need to be truly happy because she's clearly not happy with either of these. Yeah. Possibilities. Um, she should go to uh, the United States of America. Not. Not uh, oh, yeah? Argentina. Yeah, that, that was uh, the land of opportunity. Mm. Well, I mean, tons of Irish did. And yeah. that's why, uh, the, you know, America and Ireland are... If you go there, you'll feel at home pretty quickly because it feels... These two countries really feel similar. Yeah, um, but if she won't go to, like, a country with someone that she thinks she knows, is she really going to go to a new country? Oh, with yeah, no, no one I don't one, think so. You know? yeah. No, she can't. You don't just hop on a boat with some sailor, some romancing you, takes you out to see the bohemian girl, and then kidnaps you. You don't, you have to, like, I feel like that would a, work on me. Yeah, well, <laughs> it'd be too late. You could, uh, um. It's okay, I've read Evelyn. I, I know not to, I know the signs. Yeah, that's good. That's really what this story is about. Yeah. It's just a warning. It's just warning, to, young yeah, girls. Stay away Sorry, from sailors. Sorry, young ladies. Stay away from sailors. 
Um, yeah, date yeah I don't think I need a book to tell me that. How, how come Eveline doesn't just date a nice Irish boy? Surely there's some some guys are coming into the shop. Maybe she thinks they're all like her dad. Flirting with her a little bit, asking her out. Is she saying no? That's another thing is we don't get like a physical description of her, and that's something I kind of want. You're just, to the, just, you're to just it wondering at hotness, right? Is uh, is she a babe or is she... I mean, eh? no, I just mean like maybe that's why I guess because attractiveness does have something to do with it because what if she's never like had that opportunity um whether it be well a one option could be because her father is so controlling that she's never had the opportunity to go out with men which is something clear by the fact that her father prohibits them from seeing each other but also what if she's just like generally unattractive and that's why she's so infatuated with Frank, this guy that she barely even knows, is because yeah. like he's the first guy to give her attention. Yeah, but I don't know. If your business is like stealing young women to bring to a brothel, aren't you kind of looking for a certain quality of features? Is it easier to get someone attractive or vulnerable? Yeah. I mean... I mean... Or she could be both. Because if she's attractive, she's clearly still very vulnerable with the family that she yeah she has. Yeah. I imagine she's average looking. Yeah. Because, you know, the fact that... Just Irish we people. Weren't, we, weren't, <laughs> yeah, we weren't told uh, uh, whether she was, you know, one way or the other. And so I think we just go, eh, just kind of normal. Yeah. Um, she says, okay, towards the end... Um, there's a quote that says, could she still draw back after all he'd done for her? Because this is where she's kind of like, it's closer to the boat actually being there. And yeah. she's still debating. But like, what is all that he'd done for her? He took her to... Uh, the bohemian girl and then what? Showing yeah. basic human decency? Like <laughs> He was kind, manly. That's what I'm like, open hearted. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she, I think uh, maybe she's putting him on a pedestal that I he think hasn't so. really proven himself. Yeah, I think so. I'm glad she didn't go, even though I'm sad that she's stuck. Uh, yeah. Even if she isn't a total babe, I still think she deserves happiness. Yeah. The last line, though, how did you feel about that? Mm, let me read it. Yeah, please do. I don't remember. I think I stopped right before the last line because I was... So sad for her? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll read the whole last paragraph. Yeah. He rushed, he being Frank, he rushed beyond the barrier and called to her to follow. He was shouting, he was shouted at to go on, but he still called to her. She set her white face to him, passive like a helpless animal. Her eyes gave him no sign of love or farewell or recognition. Um, I don't know. How do you read it? It just seems so drastic of a shift from her giving him so much credit for just being there to less than indifferent. Yeah. Well, she's kind of shocked and par paralyzed, but maybe that's the epiphany that she didn't love him. That she that actually be, didn't yeah. have any kind of real connection or feeling. Mm -hmm. It was just, he was just a hope that she could somehow get away. Yeah. And then it turned out not not to work out. 
I just think I like this story so much, probably just because there's good backstory, like there's sufficient backstory. And then it does kind of get repetitive of like, okay, I can go, but it's not so bad here. Okay. Yeah, it is. I need to go and that back and forth. But then like at the very end, like when they're at the boat, there's just so much to unpack. And I, I, I don't know. I just like the format. I think it's, it's interesting and it's, Maybe this is because it's short, but it kept my attention the entire time. Yeah. No, I think any story that that makes you feel this strongly and gets gets you this interested in the whole situation, and it's only like three and a half pages long yeah. or something, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good old uh, James Joyce. I always like to read James Joyce alongside Anton Chekhov. Tell me more. Have you ever read any Chekhov stories? He's also, he was um, earlier... And I don't think Joyce read Chekhov, but their stories are quite similar. And it was just something in the air around, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, where I hope that's when Chekhov wrote. Um, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But it feels like he's not that much earlier than Joyce. Yeah. Um, he So he died two years before this book was published. Okay. So that makes sense. Story. He was just a little earlier. Yeah. Um, and, or no. uh, the year that the year of he died, the year that Dubliners came out. Yeah. Cool. I mean, not cool. Chekhov was, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he died pretty young of tuberculosis. He was a doctor and he went around to healing the poor. He was like a really aristocratic guy who really cared about the peasants and, and, uh, he didn't have to go around trying to rescue them but he did and he put himself at risk um and he died young and then there's this picture of him that's been colorized over the years and he's a very dashing handsome guy too so people like him even more because of that but Mm -hmm. he's a master of the short story it's still today one of the hugely influential uh, story writers and george saunders teaches a seminar on russian literature and a lot of it is Chekhov, and he wrote his latest book. Maybe, no, it's not his latest, but a recent Saunders book is called Swimming in a Pond in the Rain, mm-hmm. or A Swim in, in a Pond in the Rain, and it's from a Chekhov story. So anyway, we should uh, read a Chekhov yeah. story sometime. I was looking through some, and they, they seem pretty interesting. Yeah, they are. They're subtle, and they're kind of epiphany stories, and they're about regular people, um, who are desperately I think those are the sad. Best stories. Just regular people. Regular folks. Folks is folks. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think we got to the heart of this one. Yeah. Before we finish up, though, can I ask you something yeah. that's like completely off topic? Yeah, yeah. So, it's finals week. And yeah. I know as a student, and you know, because you were a student once, you know, the life of students during finals weeks. But what is it like in the life of a professor during finals weeks? Like, is it like, um busy or i mean grading there's a lot to do yeah there's a lot of grading but not much teaching anymore so usually by finals week we're pretty chill Uh, we do have mountains of papers to read and stuff Mm -hmm. like that um or exams to grade but i think like two weeks before the end of the semester is probably the peak of our workload Mm. and then it starts going down so i think you're I feel like student workload is 
just slightly off from teacher workload. Yeah. So I think we're kind of getting into chill mode um, already. I mean, the papers to grade is the fact that we don't actually have to meet a class unless we're giving a final, which there's no teaching involved, is a right. just that feeling of performance that teachers have, like having to go in and be on and everybody's looking at you. Mm-hmm. That's probably, it's exciting and it can be an ego stroke or, or deeply humiliating or humbling. But that's the part I think that feels the, that saps the most energy is just mm-hmm. being on. And once you don't have to be on anymore, you can take your, you know, your stack of papers to a coffee shop and just yeah. sit around all afternoon reading Kind of them. enjoy yourself a little more. So yeah, no, we're pretty chill. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was That's wondering, because I did, I, I, part of me had thought that, but I didn't want to, like, not give professors credit and be like, your life is so easy after classes are over. Uh, yeah. It, no, I think that we have, like, other things going on, like yeah. ha- taking my kid to the Little League game. Right. I mean, you still have life stuff happening. <laughs> Some of us. Well, <laughs> so. that seems like a little bit of a call out. <laughs> Some of us, yeah, right. I don't. I'm not sure who I'm calling out, but yeah, not all. Of Someone's us. gonna listen to this, and we're gonna get an angry email. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> I want some hate email just to. Then, it, then we've really made it. Yes, right. <laughs> so, all right. I think that's uh, it. I think we got it. Um, yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for suggesting this story. Yeah. And um, we'll do it again next time. Yeah email us um we also have an instagram it's just tmuw.pubcast uh follow us and then we'll you know you can turn on our notifications and get notifications whenever we post absolutely yeah bye bye bye